GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. Are we doing enough to ensure our long-term success as a community? We speak to Nicholas Galamaro of Together Gibraltar. We also hear from James Lazry, the president of the American Chamber of Commerce in Gibraltar, on Thanksgiving. Black Friday is always busy in the shops. The police is working with traders to tackle card fraud. We speak to Detective Constable Emily Bright. And we hear from the Federation of Small Businesses on how they're hoping to incentivize shopping local in the run-up to Christmas. This plus the latest from the Development and Planning Commission with Christina Cortez after a proposal for a new 22-storey building at the West Place of Arms was unanimously rejected and the DPC also said no glass windows in the balconies at Hassan Centenary Terraces for now at least. So lots to cover but our top story should the voting age be lowered from 18 to 16? We hear the views of Radio Gibraltar listeners but first the thoughts of the Deputy Chief Minister Joseph Garcia. Well, our view is that 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, young people also have a stake in the future of Gibraltar going forward and potentially should have a voice into how Gibraltar is governed and administered by voting in general elections. Now, what the government has done is issued a consultation paper. So what we are seeking are views in, of those people who are in favour, views of those who might be against, and then those views better inform the Gibraltar Parliament when it comes to take a decision on the matter. We should bear in mind, having said that, that in the referendum of June 2021, the vote was extended for the first time to 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds. There were then 197 of them. And um, although the the percentage of of, of them who turned out to vote is not known, in, the, in that age range, in the first age range, 16 to 20, about 80% of young people turned out to vote. So I think it's a positive engagement with young people and it recognises that they too have a stake in society. The Deputy Chief Minister Joseph Garcia speaking to us just a short while ago. Should the voting age be lowered from 18 to 16? What do you think? We're on 266 200. You can send us a message on WhatsApp. If it's an audio message, we can hear your voice. That would be great. Uh, remember, you can also, of course, add your view to that consultation paper. Go to our website, gbc.gi, and click on the news item for the link that you need. Sean says, what's the difference between a misinformed, unwise adult and a misinformed, unwise teenager? Sean thinks that the bigger question is, should politics, political ideologies, legislature, basic law, etc. not be a compulsory subject at school? If we want informed voters, give them the tools, says Sean. Thank you for getting in touch. Dino, why stop at voting age? Why not give 16-year-olds all rights, full driving licence, drinking age, smoking age, etc. Uh, thank you, Dino, for your comments. And Rodolfete said, uh, should the voting age after 80 
be curtailed. Not everybody has full faculties. Thank you for getting in touch, Rodolf Ede. I'm used to saying Rodolfo, uh, but uh, thank you, Rodolf Ede, for, for being in touch and sorry for mixing up your name there. Uh, we're joined by uh, Nick Galamaro of Together Gibraltar. Good afternoon, Nick. Um, we're here to talk to you about something else, but uh, should the voting age be lowered from 18 to 16? Hi, Jonathan. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, a really interesting consultation to come out from the government. I really like Sean's comment there, talking about the importance of it, but how it needs to be linked back to greater political engagement. So getting young people learning about civics, local issues, how our parliament works. I think, quite frankly, that's something that we could all do with a bit more knowledge about and the government sharing more broadly. So we'd like to have a discussion. We've arranged a debate for the a public debate for the 12th of December. Um, so that people can get involved, give us their comments, and we can then t- take our own consultation, our own submission to the consultation to government. I think initially, while we while we think it's great, and we need, we're always talking about getting people more involved in the political conversation. Um, it needs to be a broader thing. Now, the, what some of the first comments we heard about this was a lot of cynicism and equating it to buying votes. Now, that's very sad that that's people's view that we have this very transactional view of politics in Gibraltar. So we want to make sure that we have more political participation across the board and that people feel like politics isn't what can I get out of it, but what can I do for my community? And that applies to 16 and 17-year-olds as it applies to the rest of us. To everyone, sure, sure. Uh, Okay, thank you, Nick Galamaro. We're going to continue to discuss should the voting age be lowered from 18 to 16. We've got a a poll on the GBC Newsroom Instagram uh, page if you'd like to have a look at that. It's on our Instagram stories, in fact. Um, Interestingly, so far, with about 100 votes cast, the majority of people think that um, that, that 16-year-olds should not be given the right to vote. It's very unscientific, but uh, I would have assumed that the majority of people would be in favour, Nick. Is that is that sort of your gut feeling? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of arguments both ways, as have been laid out by the government in the consultation paper. I think people worry about whether people are informed enough to make a decision. I think also there's a lot of concern about with all the stress that we put on 16, 17-year-olds with their exams, of choosing what they're going to do with their life. It's an additional pressure. Now, that said, as we say more broadly, I think, and as Sean commented from your comments, um, pe- these young people and all people need to be given the tools to make an informed decision. So when we submit our uh, consultation, that will be a key part of it. OK, so um, you, you, you're sort of this is, this is an issue that you had almost anticipated. So as soon as the, uh, you know, the, the government announced this, confirm- this uh, consultation exercise, you have now confirmed uh, that you're having an event. Uh, remind us. That's in- right. So 12th of December at the John McIntosh Hall Charles Hunt Room. Now, we d- I do have to say, although we were anticipating it because it was in the GSLP manifesto, Um, We are a bit disappointed that the consultation period is so short and runs over the festive period. So you have Hanukkah coming up in a couple of weeks, then you have Christmas. We know how busy everyone gets. The last thing people want to be doing is considering politics and submitting consultations. So we also think it's disappointing that the government hasn't arranged their own debate on this subject. And we think that people need to explore their ideas, not just write their own thoughts in a consultation. So we'll be doing that for them. 12th of December, please come down, have your say. And learn from others. We, When we host these discussions, it's always an opportunity for us to learn from the public, but also for members of the public to learn from 
others who they might not have considered their point of view. There'll certainly be 16, 17-year-olds there, and yet people can see for themselves how politically engaged some of these young people are. Well, I mean, I, I just uh, meant from from um, from memory. I, I'm pretty sure that the 18 to 20 year olds category uh, at the general election last month had a higher turnout than the 20 to 30 year olds. So uh, definitely some keenness to have a say in matters of politics uh, from from teenagers. Uh, so um, moving on, you, you've got a, a, an event uh, not just on on the voting age. You've got another one. Tonight, Nick, uh, as Together Gibraltar, is Gibraltar doing enough to ensure our long-term success? Why did you think this was an important question to ask now? So, yeah, in a way, it's a return to Together Gibraltar's roots, where we started out as a civic movement looking to ask those big questions and give people the platform and the chance to explore their own ideas, the chance to learn from others, and the chance to have their say in the direction that Gibraltar is going. Now, although we don't have any parliamentary representation, we didn't contest the election, we're still a very engaged group and we want to make sure that people are being given this platform because we think it's something that neither of the other two parties are doing. We want to make sure that people have a space where they can come, explore, and and we wanted to start with this one because we think it's quite a broad topic, but a topic that's increasingly becoming very important to people as they realise that some of the old ways of doing things in Gibraltar are becoming unsustainable and we need to look towards what we're going to do in the future. Yeah, so it's about housing, it's about how we make sure that there's adequate places for people to live. Um, It's about employment, so some of the old industries in Gibraltar we're moving away from and we need to now look to the future towards more green, more, um, more green industries as well as industries that give people real job opportunities and career growth. And ultimately it's a way that we as a party can make sure that we're in touch with the public and when we write our press releases, when we um, oppose the government, we're doing so in a way that represents the public. Okay, and um, and, and you're going to be covering a, a number of topics. The question is, are we doing enough to ensure a long-term success as a community, as Gibraltar? And, and you're, you're, you're looking for views on health, housing. You mentioned their sustainability and quality of life, but also uh, heritage and culture and, 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 as you mentioned, career opportunities. So if, if somebody's interest has been piqued, you'll be at the John McIntosh Hall this evening from 6 That's correct, that's correct, in the lecture hall on the ground floor. And just what I want to say quickly, from my short time in politics, what I've learned is not everyone wants to be in politics, but absolutely everyone I've met has one issue that they're passionate about and very knowledgeable about. And we want to make sure that these meetings, these public forums, are a place for you to come share your ideas, and we promise we'll respect them, we'll help you explore them, and we'll give you a space to push those ideas forward and make Gibraltar the best place it can be. All right, Nick Galamaro of Together Gibraltar. Good luck for this evening's event and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jonathan. This is Gibraltar Today. Uh, We're going to look at the Development and Planning Commission now. They met this morning and unanimously rejected a proposal for a new 22-storey building to replace the existing Devonport apartment block at West Place of Arms. Our reporter, Christina Cortez, was uh, following that meeting. Uh, Chrissy, um, were were you surprised? I mean, was it a a close vote? Not really, no? Not at all. Uh, it was a it was a unanimous uh, rejection. 
Um, it was. It's obviously been uh, something that's been in the news recently um, with concerns expressed by Action for Housing again just this week about the effect on the current tenants uh, of Devonport, uh, the Devonport building, um, which they wanted assurances that these people would be uh, rehoused. Um, but this was not the main focus of the DPC, given the remit being more about development. So the main reason why the building itself was rejected today was largely because of the perceived impact on the city walls. Right. So, uh, yes, because that, that is right next to the Iron Bridge on the city walls. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Where there is a building already, but that building wouldn't be allowed today if it sought yes. permission. And the developers argued that their proposal would have actually re-exposed the fortifications. It would have created a park and play park, commercial areas, a promenade, and increased pedestrian access to the city centre. They said it would be in the public interest and it would allow for urban renewal. So their argument was that it would be better than what's what's currently there now. Uh, but there were a number of objections. There were concerns about the effect on businesses in the area having to re- relocate. Um, there were, of course, the concerns about <laughs> the tenants, um, which were which was raised again by Action for Housing, although, again, this is not the, the main focus today. But, but primarily the concerns were on the height of the building and the proximity to the city walls, especially from the Heritage Trust and Ministry of Heritage, both of whom said it was excessive, out of character, and uh, would set a worrying precedent, which was also echoed by the town planning department in its sum- summary of the, situa- of the situation. They said it would be overpowering and overbearing and uh, could lead to encroaching developments uh, in the area and that the harms outweighed the benefits from the proposed beautifications. Interesting because there, there is uh, this sort of uh, view that there is almost a presumption that developments will be allowed to go ahead but, but sometimes they are rejected. Yes and this one again you know uh, the town planning said its recommendation was for rejection and this no one no one disagreed with that. It was unanimously rejected, despite the arguments having been put forward by the by the. Applicants. And I suppose we don't know if the developer will come back with an alternative no. view, no, with an alternative plan. But for now, they don't have the go ahead. Uh, and there were other things covered. Uh, we don't have too much time, but uh, I know that um, from your report in the one thirty bulletin, no glass windows in the balconies at Hassan Centenary terraces for now, at least. Yes. So this wasn't a formal application. This was a request for guidance on what would presumably be a potential application in future which was for glass windows to enclose the balconies on Hassan Centenary terraces. Uh, town planning said this would uh, introduce unnecessary massing and also that the fact that some people would install them and others might choose not to would make the building look cluttered. Um, it said glass curtains have generally been the option, a uh, bit different to windows, I imagine less sort of frame framework, but uh, that you know this would not be possible on technical and safety grounds at Hassan Centenary terraces, presumably considering the height and the winds. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Our American listeners are celebrating Thanksgiving, of course, and there are some Americans in our community. It's a public holiday in the United States which aims to bring families and communities together in a celebration of abundance and community. And uh, the Gibraltar American Chamber of Commerce will again be hosting an annual Thanksgiving gala dinner. They've opted to do so next Thursday. But uh, speaking to us now is the AmCham President, James Lazary. I was reflecting on the meaning of Thanksgiving today, and I thought that if we give thanks, it is an act of humility, because it is an acknowledgement that we are giving thanks to a power that is outside of us, whether you want to call it God, whether you want to call it nature, karma, whatever, whatever, whatever is important to you. Nevertheless, it is a recognition that there is a benevolent force out there that is granting us good things. And the world, even though we're going through some pretty terrible things right now and, and in general, 
The world still, the world that we live in, is a world with much less war, much less hunger, much less illiteracy, uh, and much less autocracy than, than, than the world was a couple of hundred years ago, or even a hundred years ago. So I think that we have a lot to be thankful for, especially here in Gibraltar. Thank you to all of you, and happy Thanksgiving. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. The Royal Gibraltar Police is running a campaign to tackle card fraud. It's been speaking to retailers this morning because several of them have been targeted in recent years. I'm joined now by Detective Constable Emily Bright of the Economic Crime Unit. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Um, How have these scams operated in, in recent years? Hi, good afternoon, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Um, well, the main issue that we have at the moment is card not present fraud. So this is a fraud where um, individuals will target retailers and they will, after purchasing many prop- many um, items, most of them quite expensive, they will actually take hold of the actual card reader itself. And whilst the retailer is um, distracted, they will input the actual card number rather than using a, a chip and pin. Right. And by doing that, the transaction has gone through. However, they've used a fraudulent card. So you, we won't know until months later when the actual retailers themselves receive um, chargeback um, notes from the mm-hmm. actual bank saying that the true um, owner of that credit card has, has proved, been frauded. Has uh, proved that they exactly, weren't there. And... Exactly. And because of that the retailers are at a loss. So so in that scenario, the retailer is down whatever they yes. charged? Yes. Because because what the responsibility is on them to make sure that that card machine is used properly? Exactly. So that's basically what happens. The money has already gone through. They get a chargeback request maybe two, three months later, and that money is more than likely automatically debited from their actual account themselves, like from the actual bank. And, and without giving away the retailer or, or, or anything, any information which could identify the retailers, what sort of items have been targeted in recent years? Right. A lot of it is, is it's deemed as high value. So things like jewellery, um, as well as electronics, mobile phones. Um, there's been a lot of issues, even perfumes, although it's not deemed as a high value. There's been a lot of cases where there's been perfumes. That a lot, um, someone's come in, purchased many perfumes for a high amount of money as the total and then with that they've they've defrauded the actual retailer and they've been at a loss unfortunately yeah and uh, so so the message you, you've been in town this morning what did you say to retailers yes so this morning um detectors of the economic crime units we visited um the retailers we've handed them a leaflet and it actually tells you points of what to look out for so it's if an individual has multiple Credit cards is one reason that you should be a bit suspicious. If there's many declined attempts for the actual card itself, if they've purchased an expensive item, but they have like no worry for the amount of money they're spending and they're constantly adding on to their total, that is something to look out for. Um, If the individual as well is taking back control of the card reader, that is not, um, that's something to look out for as well. If if you just see that they may be trying to cover up their mobile phone or if they're constantly on their mobile phone at the same time as they're actually using the credit card machine, that is one of the ones as well that we tell 
not just the retailers, it's actually like customs themselves as well when they've gone into a shop. So if a customer sees something that looks suspicious, like, look, exactly, they could alert. That, they can actually alert the retailer, they can alert the police, and it's happened in the past. We've been alerted and we've managed to stop them before the individuals have left Gibraltar. And in doing so, we've managed to at Good. least get back some property yeah. to return it back to the actual um, shops. So these, th- this is um, fairly sophisticated crime, would you say? I mean, is this is this organised criminals who are um, uh, who are targeting our shops because they know that there are high value um, products that they can uh, potentially, you know, sort of use as, as the basis yes, for their fraud? Yes, um, yes, it's very much, um, it's very sophisticated. Things are always changing, so there could be new ways that they're they're doing everything. But um, it's it's just, we started this awareness last year. We thought it was quite quite a good idea, especially now with Black Friday coming up, Christmas period, there's going to be a lot of spending. So we just wanted, we just thought, well, if this is, to be fair, this is one of the main issues that we've got is credit card fraud. For 2023 alone, so far, we haven't even finished the year, we're at 22% of all fraud crimes are credit card fraud. Right. So that is where that's something that we know we need to tackle and try at least bring the numbers down because all we're seeing is that it's rising. When we started in 2020, uh, 2021, it was at 13% of all um, fraudulent crimes were credit cards. In last year, it was at 19%. And we're already at 2022. We're already at 20, um, 22%, sorry. And we haven't even ended November yet. Sure. So, so it is a significant, um, you know, sort of issue that we need to deal with, and also the solutions are are, are there. No, it, it, it's sort of just being a little bit more aware, um, alive to the idea that unfortunately there are some people who are trying to to rip retailers off. If you're a retailer, you know, make sure that the the um, when you, when you're concentrating during the the sort of seconds, really, because it's a quick transaction, it, it isn't it? It really is. It really is, and like within seconds, that's it. You've lost you've lost that money because by the time that um, the RGP are even aware you're talking about two to three months and half the time the money's already gone and, and, and it's and difficult for, for just a minute of concentration at a time uh, you know you, you can sort of make sure that you don't have to then try to recover uh, yes that's correct because especially if you're going to ha- it, it is definitely it definitely is because it's a lot of money that retailers are losing you know it's over 100,000 in the past three years that is a lot of money to uh, for retailers to have lost and the way the way that we see it is, if you're dealing with one customer, try not to distract yourself with a second and just try and do it one. I know that it's going to be very difficult because it's probably going to be a lot because that's what these these fraudsters do. They travel in packs. Of, I say pack, they they travel in groups of two to three individuals at a time. So they'll have one who's trying to purchase many items at one time. Second one will then try and actually distract the retailer. Right. And also try and purchase something else as well. So they're trying to get shown things while the other, the original fraudsters there trying to input the actual... Fairly well thought It, it really is. It really is. So um, so then uh, the advice, I suppose, would also be to, to have strength in numbers when you can at, at your till? Yes. Try not to be on your own. If you've got staff members that can help you out, even better. The, the, the more you've got in the shop, and at least as well for... Um, customers as a whole as well if you're going into a shop if you can see that there's something looking that's a bit off or something just doesn't look right as well bring it up to the attention of a retailer or even just call the RGP and we will go down and we can speak to the individual even just asking for identification 
on the person and see whether it matches their card. Those okay. are just little things. Sure. And uh, so that's, that, that's for the retailers and your message for consumers tomorrow on Black Friday? Is just be careful because a lot of... Uh, it's just a way of being aware of your surroundings, watch how where you're keeping your credit cards as well because these can be cloned too. But if you're going to be out spending, just make sure you, you're protected. You don't take your card out if you don't have to. There's a lot of use of mobile phones. To be able to pay for items, do it that way if it's easier for you because it's a lot harder to clone a card via a mobile phone than with an actual credit card. Sure. We have been discussing Black Friday, which of course is tomorrow and traditionally starts um, Christmas shopping in earnest. There are some pretty good sales, uh, some pretty good deals in town. Uh, and there's uh, there's one Christmas present that we're hoping to get for our children that actually has a great offer on it. So I, I don't say this lightly. I know that the prices can be pretty competitive uh, and uh, not sure what the queues will be like, but definitely worth having a look. If you have a walk around and a chat, if you're in town or, or look up the shop online, on Facebook, you can see what's on offer. The Federation of Small Businesses is hoping uh, to also incentivize shopping local in the run-up to Christmas, and they're going to start tomorrow. This is Owen Smith with more details. Kicking off with a festival of lights tomorrow, the GFSB is going to be running an amazing Christmas promotion to encourage people to spend local this Christmas. All you have to do is spend with a participating business and you can win the chance to win a £500 hamper before Christmas Day. It's an amazing way to get the most out of your Christmas spend and to support local businesses this Christmas. Look out for further information on GFSB socials as we kick off the campaign tomorrow. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Antibiotic resistance is uh, a big deal. It's one of the biggest threats to global health and it could lead to more deaths than cancer by 2050. That's what the experts are telling us. It's an issue that's been highlighted in this uh, World Antimicrobial Resistance Week under the theme Preventing Resistance Together. And handling that story for GBC is our reporter, Roz Astengo. Roz, when does antimicrobial resistance happen and why does it matter? Well, uh, the GHA's consultant microbiologist, Dr Nick Cortez, um, is best place to explain exactly why but the reason is overuse but i think what you mentioned there was the uh the theme preventing antimicrobial resistance together what we know as antibiotic resistance that's the key issue here because it's not just about the clinicians it's also about the patients themselves and patient expectations uh, as we'll be hearing from dr roberta meta but first of all let's get dr cortez to explain exactly how this uh, issue has come about you should always take an antibiotic only when prescribed by your doctor you shouldn't share antibiotics between you or use any leftover antibiotics uh, and you shouldn't really be able to buy antibiotics over the counter without a prescription they are prescription only medicines an antibiotic isn't without its risk so if you take an antibiotic when you don't need it some carry significant side effects and an antibiotic will have quite long-lasting effects on your microbiome which are the so-called friendly bacteria that we all carry and they do a very good job at protecting us from more harmful bacteria 
Dr. Nick Cortez speaking to Rosa Stengel, who's with me in the studio. Um, it, it's it's a week of awareness raising, isn't it? It is. And as I mentioned, it's important that patients also understand when uh, and when they shouldn't be prescribed antibiotics. I mean, it is for the clinician to decide anyway. Um, what is good is that they do actually have these tests at the GHA now, because whereas before they could look into your mouth and say, let's say you've got a sore throat, they could look into your mouth and say, oh, there's white spots, that means it's bacterial, or, you know, no white spots bots that means it's viral Uh, well now they can actually tell definitively particularly if it's not to do with your throat if it's to do somewhere else so they do have actual tests that they can carry out in the laboratory and it's important because i think when people go to the doctor and they're feeling really really ill particularly if they've taken time off work um it's almost as though they want evidence that they are genuinely ill and they come back with antibiotics as well as the fact that people feel that they're more likely to get better if they do have antibiotics. But this is not actually the case. And doctors do actually feel a lot of pressure, as Dr. Meta, uh, Dr. Roberta Meta uh, from the GHA explained to me. Mr. Sabardi argues the GHA... Beg your pardon, that is not Dr. Robert Meta, but... Uh, Roberta. Roberta Meta, is it? Yeah. Uh, but let's, uh, let's hear from her now. The main reason why the doctors seems to prescribe antibiotics is the first is, of course, when there is an assessment and we think that the infection might get worse if we don't prescribe antibiotics, and that will be the indication. But one of the other main reasons is the pressure from the patient, because, of course, we think we are unwell, we need antibiotics, but it's our role and, of course, patient can help us with it to trying to make an understand that an antibiotic is not the solution for everything and it's most of the time actually cough and colds, even sore throat, sometimes even urinary symptoms is not caused by a bacteria. So antibiotic will actually do nothing for it. So Dr. Roberta Meta, have I got, no, I haven't got that yeah. right again. Yes, have I? yes I have. have. Roberta have. Meta, sorry. <laughs> a lovely doctor, lovely GP. Uh, and in fact, I have seen her myself because I have had this cold. This is the time of year where we get colds, coughs, flu. True. I've had mine for two months. And, um, you know, these things sometimes are viral. Colds and flu, antibiotics aren't going to help. Uh, and I, I think that's important to remember at this time of the year. There's a lot of really good medicines over the counter that can help with symptoms, which usually only last a few days. Mine's gone on for a couple of months now, but uh, that's unusual. But, um, yeah, antibiotics aren't going to help those sort of symptoms. And I think it's important that people bear that in mind in this uh, anti... No, hold on a moment. What is it called? Antimicrobial <laughs> resistance, resistance week. week. Exactly. Sorry, I've changed scripts. So now, we so. should not we should not pressure our doctors to to towards. We should not push them towards antibiotics. We should let them tell us what they think we need. When they yes, and and if you have got a common cold or flu and you are feeling a bit rough. You know, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but the general advice from doctors is, you know, there's a lot of over-the-counter medicines, good rest, hydration, and in a few days, usually you Make are Make sure better. you're eating your greens. Yeah, I mean, antibiotics aren't necessarily going to treat those type of symptoms, but obviously if you're concerned about it, do go and see a doctor. I am not a doctor, but uh, that's the sort of message that's coming through sure. this week. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar Today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand.